0: Welcome to Swing Angry Live. I am your host, Brandon Matthews. It's my pleasure to bring you the latest in sports performance and player development strategies from a variety of industry experts as we discuss some of the hottest topics in baseball, softball, and athletic development. Be sure to follow us on all major social media platforms at BMAT0416 and check out the website www.bmatthewsbaseball.com. If you would like to be a guest on the show or would like to recommend someone for the show, please feel free to reach out. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Uh, Roberts at Parrot Academy, uh, head baseball coach, um, administrative duties with the upper school at Parrot Academy in Kinston, North Carolina. Uh, multiple state championships, high school state championships in baseball, and he's got a couple of state championships in football as an assistant coach. So, Robert, I'm just going to let you go ahead and kind of tell people your background as it relates to like where you're from, um, your playing experience, and and after your playing career ended, your journey through coaching the game.
1: Yeah. First of all, man, I appreciate you having me on the show, Brandon. Uh, love the book. Love the book. You know, (laughs) I've, I've read some, uh, I haven't read all of it. I told you I would, but I've read most of it. And I I enjoy it. I like it, you know. Um, So I appreciate you having me, man. Um, So, you know, I'm originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, Never played the game of baseball growing up. I think I was actually listening to you speak um, maybe a couple of days ago or I heard it somewhere. Um, You know, I never played organized sports until I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, But my dad. Uh, played baseball, actually made it to the minor leagues. Um, So I grew up around the game, uh, played it with my friends all the time. Uh, And I I think – was it you talking about how you got in 100 swings with your friends in the backyard and how competitive you guys may have been or something like that? Um, You know, now where kids are – lucky to get three, four bats a game. And, you know, they're paying for all these, uh, lessons that may or may not benefit them, you know? Uh, so, you know, as a youngster growing up, you know, I never played organized ball, but we played it all the time in the backyard. So I learned the game, um, on the sandlot, if you will. Um, so I moved to Bertie County, North Carolina. So from Virginia beach to Bertie County, which was a, a big culture shock. Um, My freshman year was a big adjustment, uh, meeting new people. Uh, My mom was actually ill during that time as a freshman. Uh, So sports was definitely not an option for me. Uh, It was more of staying at home, kind of taking care of my little brother type deal while my stepdad worked you know, 12-hour shifts. Uh, So when mom got well, that was actually the summer before my sophomore year, I decided, you know what? I'm going to play football. I'm going to play baseball. And um, I excelled at both, Um, but baseball, football by far is my favorite sport, but baseball, you know, I just, I had more success. I knew there was more of a future uh, because, you know, a five foot seven quarterback, uh, you know, not, not too many people look for those guys. Um, But, you know, I played at Birdsey high school under uh, coach Randy Whitaker Um, and, you know, learned a lot from him uh, as a player. You know, I think one thing that a lot of people didn't realize about, about coach Whitaker is he was an excellent, excellent uh, game manager. You know, I thought that practices were, were well organized. Um, He could, he could manage a game, uh, situational baseball. Um, I thought he was, you know, very good at. Um, So I, so I, you know, I learned a lot from him and then from there, um, played, played four years, four year starter at Elizabeth city state university, uh, under, um, Terrence Whittle, uh, who's now at Stillman college down in, uh, I think it's in Alabama, uh, learned a lot from him, man. He was, I thought the, the baseball guru, I, you know, to this day, he and I talk, um, all the time and, you know, he taught me so much more, um, you know, about baseball than I could ever imagine, uh, just his knowledge and what he brought to his players and, and and the caring, you know, you could, you could tell that he loved his players. Um, and to me, to that day is, is one of the reasons why I still keep in touch with him. Um, so, you know, the four years at Elizabeth city were the greatest, the greatest years of my life had opportunity to play overseas um, in a, in a tournament over there that he, uh, he helped, get me involved in uh actually had an opportunity to stay over there and and play pro ball um but but did not Uh, um and then from there after graduation which was kind of crazy i I left i left a uh a developmental psychology exam is my last exam my senior year and i'm walking out uh and i get a phone call from from my agent uh not that i was like some pro guy or anything else like that i actually had a an agent that Coach Whittle had hooked me up with to uh, try to find out what other possibilities there were, you know, for guys who wanted to continue their career that, you know, weren't good enough to to get drafted or anything like like that. And uh, got an opportunity uh, to play um, in the independent league uh, for the uh, Florence Freedom, which I think they're now called the Florence Y'alls. You know, everybody has those weird, weird names now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, Chris Sabo was actually my coach for about a day uh, before he got fired. Um, and then, uh, you know, Chris Sabo was an infielder for the Reds uh, in the 80s, 90s. And then uh, Tom Browning, uh, who was a pitcher for the Reds, came in and uh, filled that spot. Um, and it was, man, it was such a, an eye-opener. We, uh, <clears throat> it, they were an expansion team in the Frontier League, Um they were building a new stadium, a new complex. So we actually practiced at um, the facilities at Miami of Ohio, of all places. And uh, man, we would practice from nine in the morning until six in the evening, and we would get one long break, um, you know, around lunchtime. And we literally got a sandwich, a banana, a pack of Nabs, and a coke or water every day. But it was it was it was awesome because you you know being there, learning, learning a lot, but also, you know, you understand why guys are as good as they are um, because you, you know, it's pro ball, but it's not, you know, it's not major league ball. And these guys that I was playing with were phenomenal. You know, I thought, wow, these are some of the best guys I've ever played with. And, you know, I was, I was playing second base and, you know, you would turn double plays. You would just do double play feeds for two hours at a time, you know, and it's just, it just becomes second nature. Um, so I was there. Um, I was there for four games uh, before I was released. Um, I was released, sent home uh, with a bunch of gear and a check. Uh, told uh-huh. me good luck, uh, and it, I mean, no hard feelings. You know, we actually had a roster set, and um, uh-huh. we were leaving the hotel one morning, and standing in the front lobby was this good-looking uh probably six three six four just specimen of a dude who had just been released from a major league affiliate and um joined the team and and you know just looking at the guy you know everyone knew oh yeah this dude's a stud like if he if he could play like he looks somebody's going home and uh when we found out he was a, a third baseman we knew an infielder was going home so I kind of had kind of had it in the back of my mind, like, man, if I don't, if I don't ball out this last game, it could be me, uh, which is kind of crazy because in that game I was two for four. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> after the game, they called me into the office and, uh, they released me, but it was, you know, no hard feelings, you know, humbling for sure. Um, you know, I drove home from, from Ohio all the way back to Raleigh at the time, uh, where my parents were at. And, uh, Man, it was just, you know, what's next? What am I going to do with my life? Uh, baseball, for the first time since I had started, was was over. Um, you know, I, I thought it might have been over. Uh, that last out when I was at Elizabeth City, I had this opportunity. Um, I did everything I could to to stay in that situation. But, you know, those were out of my hands. Um, but, you know, it was great experience, you know. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, so it was kind of one of those things on the way home is, is what do I do next? Uh do, yeah, I have a teaching degree, I have no job, I have nowhere to live because I didn't want to live back in Raleigh because I had no one my my family was there, but uh my friends, my girlfriend, who's my now wife was back in Bertie, so I was like, you know, here we go, it's time to make some decisions. So on that, you know, 12-hour journey back to the house, it was it was gut check time.
0: Yeah, a lot of reflecting then uh reflecting what's and the next up, step? What's man. the next step, man?
1: So, you know, I, you know, I get home and it's, 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 it's funny how, how God has a way of just paving your life and, and you have no idea what's going on. You know, he's, he's working all the magic behind you. And, you know, you're just constantly, you know, wanting to know what's next and, and in, a, in a big hurry. So, you know, I get home and one of my best friends calls me up and he's like, Hey man, I have a job flipping houses. And, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about, hammer and nails, but, you know, I can throw away some trash if I need to. <laughs> so <laughs> he and I uh, start working for this guy and, you know, we're literally tearing down walls and, and doing things, you know, I don't know about, um, but, you know, grunt work, I guess, is what you can say. Uh, but come to find out, he was a board member at Lawrence Academy, which was a private school there in Bertie County. Um, and he and I, we worked daily and we would just kind of talk, you know, just about certain things. And, uh, you know, he was like in conversation one day and we started talking about baseball and he was like, hey, man, we're actually looking for a baseball coach at Lawrence Academy. And I was like, wow, you know, there's I've always wanted to be I think ever since like the eighth grade, I always wanted to be a teacher. But once I started to get into sports, you know, those were the people in my life, my coaches who made the biggest impact on my life. So I thought, hey, this is something maybe I can do in return is is help kids, you know, not only become better athletes, student athletes, but better people in general. So, uh, one day I'll ne- I'll never forget. We were on the roof of this house. It, it was probably 150 degrees, and we're putting tar on this tin roof. And he pulls up in his truck and he says, "Robert, the headmaster at Lawrence Academy would like to interview you right now." And I'm I, I'll never forget. I'm wearing these athletic shorts and, and, a wife beater, you know, those were pretty cool back in, in, in the early, uh, I guess, two thousands. And, uh, you know, I'm hot, nasty, stinking. And I was like, all right, well, you know, let me go home. get sh-. He said, no, you've got to come now. And I thought there's no way, like, what are you talking about? Look at me, you know, who would hire me right now, the way I look and the way I smell probably. So he, you know, he didn't care. I didn't, um, even though I was from Berkeley County, I really didn't know where Lawrence Academy was. um, So we ride up there together and I meet the headmaster and and I'm I'm sitting there thinking the whole time, what am I doing sitting in this car or sitting in this guy's office looking like trash, really just, you know, just a blue collar hard worker out in the sun all day. And lo and behold, he offers me a job uh, teaching uh, assistant athletic director and coaching three sports, uh, varsity baseball being one of them. And, uh, you know, I, humbly took the job. And, you know, that was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. You know, I I don't think that I even gave it any thought. You know, I think once he put that contract in front of me and offered me the job, I I probably wrote my name twice. I was so excited. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of how, kind of how that started. Um, you know, I was at Lawrence Academy for 11 years and, uh, you know, I think before I got there, they had lost in the in the semifinal game uh, the year before and had a really good team. Um, so I kind of inherited. Um, a, a, first of all, they were traditionally good anyway from from many years back. Um, and, and then coming off that final four appearance, you know, they had a really good team, a young team at that. Um, so I was very excited. Um you know, I actually got one of my best friends to help me coach. He was actually my roommate at the time. Uh, his name's Tom Hoggard. Um, and we, uh, man, once baseball season hit, God, he had, I was living in his house. We were, we were roommates, and uh, he had this kitchen, and it was just long and narrow. It was, it was the oddest shaped kitchen or dining room uh, set that I can think of. And we would just sit in there for hours at a time and just draw out practice plans, and how we were going to do things, and we would, you know, to this day, he's probably one of the best assistant coaches I ever had, because, you know, what I like, or what I really cherish in an assistant coach, is someone who doesn't always just say yes, Uh, you know, let's think about, you know, let's think about what could happen if we do X, Y, Z, Um, let's argue about it, and we would, Um, so we, I felt like, he and I were a great combination because we were always prepared no matter what. And, and that that came from the hours that we put in sitting in his his kitchen dining room uh, just discussing, you know, every possible scenario, uh, whether it's, you know, who's coming in to pitch in the fifth inning if we're down by two or if we're up by three or whatever it may be. So we knew walking into every game what our plan was. Uh, so, you know, that first year was was amazing – uh, we we made it to the state championship game. Uh, we beat Rocky Mount Academy um, to advance to the state championship, a team that we had split with earlier in the year, and I think both games were one one run games in the regular season. So um, you know when we saw them in the semifinals, we knew it was going to be a dogfight. Um, and I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, and it's been a while, I think yeah. we uh, I think we beat them by two runs that game, and just. I mean, just really played gutsy baseball. Um, advanced to the state finals against Waccamaw Academy, who had uh, Robbie Allen was the head coach. I'm sure you know Robbie, who's down there at Brunswick uh, Community yeah. College, and he's done great things down there. I mean, the, I mean he, winning just follows him wherever he's at. Um, but he, you know, he had his first five guys were all D1 commits or already signees. So you know, we were going. It was David versus Goliath for sure. <laughs> And um, you know we we go out there in respect. I mean we, I think we lost that first game nine six. I think we kind of took them by surprise. Uh, I mean very respectable game. Uh, came back the next day and it was a one zero ball game going into the fifth inning. And then we looked we we ran out of pitching. Uh, matter of fact, uh, your brother in law, uh, one of my favorite players that I ever coached, Jacob, who's the head coach at. Gates County High School. I think he pitched in that game, uh, and I, I don't know before before I could get him out of there, he probably already gave up seven or eight runs. Uh, <laughs> so the, the wheels the wheels fell off for sure. Um, so we end up losing losing in the state championship that first year. But you know, I was man, I was twenty two years old when I took that job, uh, twenty three uh, when when baseball season started, and I had no idea. You know, I knew a little bit about baseball. I didn't know how to coach. Um, you know, I, I, I took what I had learned and, and tried to put some stuff together. But, I, you know, we were out there just having fun doing, doing baseball, um, you know, just trying to put the, put the best plan together to be as succe- successful as possible. Um, and that was kind of the mentality of the first couple of years. And, um, you know, we ended up going to the state championship, uh, the next 2 years uh we unfortunately lost to Wakeham again the next year uh which was a dramatic um finish we actually uh we we showed up the Fleming stadium and they had a pitcher by the name of Dustin Williamson who i think was a Clemson commit or signee uh but never played at Clemson um left-handed pitcher man he was so good he 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 i mean he was Mid '80s, he had good stuff, but he hid the ball. You never saw the ball until it was halfway to the plate. He just he could hide the ball so well. So he slayed it, the pitch, game one. And I can remember Tom and I in the dugout actually having an argument, which was good. I loved it. You know, I, I, not you know nothing nothing where it was um, detrimental, but it was you know just bouncing ideas off one another and 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 a good argument. And uh, I wanted to throw a, a freshman uh, who had pitched well for us uh, all year. And he's, you know, he's going at me like, you want to throw a freshman against Dustin Williams in in game one of the state championship. And my theory was, if we throw our best pitcher, we're going to lose this game anyway. So let's save our best for the next two because we knew what they had left. So, uh, he didn't, he didn't want to do it. Uh, but you know, head coaches make the decisions. Uh, we lost that game one, zero, uh, they actually had back-to-back doubles. I think it was like the fourth inning or something like that. We lost that game 1-0, So that freshman pitcher earned his stripes that night for sure. Um, we won the next game, and then unfortunately, uh, game three they they beat us again um, to to win the, to win the state championship that second year. Um. So so year three rolls around. Uh, new new faces. Uh, you know same. Same, I guess, uh, idea, same mindset, you know, it's, it's time to win one. Now we've been there twice. Let's, let's, let's finally win one. Uh, and, and we get there, you know, and it's not easy. It's not as easy as people think, no matter what level you're at. And, uh, we get to the state championship and we're, we're playing Wayne country day. And, uh, a good friend of mine, Michael Taylor was the head coach. Um, you know, he had a, a senior heavy team and, uh, they beat us two games, uh, two games, to one, uh, to claim their first ever state championship. Uh, so you know it was was three years, three state championship appearances and no, no wins. So it was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, what are we, what are we doing? That's not working. Why are we, why are we getting there and not winning? You know, we're, we're, we're good enough to win, but we're not winning. Uh, so, you know, that summer going into that fourth year, it was it was gut check time. It was – for a coach, it was like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd had enough. You know, I think I, I hate losing more than I love winning. Um, so, I, I really dug deep, um, you know, tried to figure out what it is that can get us over that hump. So, we really amped up our schedule uh, that year. You know, we, we had a good team. We were young. Um, we had a lot of kids who were freshmen that started for us now let me take that back let me take that back we had a lot of kids that were eighth graders uh and freshmen that started for us and they were all coming back so you know we we really amped up our schedule and played you know Greenbrier christian academy out of chesapeake virginia which is you know regionally nationally ranked uh you know we played atlantic christian who was right next door to them uh we played teams from out of state that we never heard of and they would come to Lawrence Academy, little, little Lawrence Academy, and uh, they'd whip up on us. um, And we would try to pack in as many games as possible um, because I felt like when we were, when we were at the state championship, you would play Friday night and then you would play two games if necessary on Saturday. And I felt like we were just, we were just spent. By, by that time, you know, if there was a game three, I just felt like the guys were drained. So I thought that one way we could do it was let's play as many games as we possibly can. Let's cram our schedule. You know, we had an administration that as long as academics were the, the number one focus at the school, uh, they didn't care how many games we played. Um, as long as kids were doing what they needed to do in the classroom, we had a parent body. Our parents were big supporters of of what we were doing and 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 they loved baseball um the kids love baseball so i think that third year we played somewhere around 27 28 games um and when we got to the state championship man by by the time game one game two we were we were fresh you know we weren't tired our bodies weren't tired we were we were rolling and we actually saw the adverse effect on, on on the opponents you know they looked tired. They look sore. Um, so that fourth year as a head coach, we actually defeated Waccamaw Academy. Um, and uh, and we, we swept them two games of none. And then from that point on, we went on a run that was incredible. Um, you know, we kept the sa- same mindset. You know, we, we played as many games, as many opponents, as many tough op- opponents as we possibly could. And we ended up winning the next six state championships. Um, and it was incredible. Uh, I mean, there were times where, you know, I had my doubts as a coach, you know, you, you come up and, and, you know, you just never know, uh, injuries, um, eligibility, whatever it may be, uh, anything can, can, can tear you off that track. But we had guys that were just gritty that, you know they wanted to win so badly that they they would do it at all cost. And um, you know we just we went on a tear that was just unbelievable. And man, I, as a coach, you, you know if someone would have told me, you know your first, you know nine years as a head coach, you go to nine straight state championships, I'd have thought no way. That's a, that's impo- who does that? That's impossible.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a, um, dream, there. a dream right there. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I, you know a lot of people don't, don't even get there once or, you know, don't even win one. Um, so I just, you know, I was lucky, man. I was blessed to have that situation where the school supported athletics. Uh, the parents were all about what they, you know, all about baseball and the and the kids. I mean, the, the kids I coached were small town kids. They did two things or three things. They played baseball, they fish and they hunt. And, and I always told them, you know, I, I would never get in the way, of your hunting and fishing as long as you gave me baseball when it was baseball time. Um, And that's what they did, man. They, um, I mean, I owe owe them all the credit.
0: How how have all of those experiences and those personalities of those teams, you know, what sticks out through the years that has molded you into like where you're at right now?
1: Yeah. You know um, I think, I think coaches, you know, are all the same in the sense of, you know, you you learn from, you know, this coach you had in high school, this coach you had in college, this coach you had in the pros or this coach you had in the rec league or or whatever it may be. And you just take all of those ideas that you heard and, and learned over the year and you kind of just create your own philosophy, your own culture. What is it that you do? You know, some coaches might be good at X, Y, Z where you can't do X, Y, Z. Um, so I think it was just a matter of figuring out what it is I can do as a coach and make it work. So, you know. 22 23 years old you know i'm coming in you know i'm kind of like a little hot shot um you know you know i I was a pretty good pretty good athlete you know won multiple awards as an athlete in high school and college so you know i'm gonna come in there and i'm gonna tell you how it's supposed to be done because this is the way i did it you know um but that's not the case uh you know those were kind of some of the things i did earlier in the early in my career you know uh And and I'm going to tell you, you know, stories of, you know, of of me hitting a game winning home run or this. And and then I slowly realized, you know, the kids love those stories and they're fun, but they don't want to hear it because, you know, it doesn't do them any good. So very quickly, very quickly, I realized, hey, you know what? This isn't about you anymore. This is about these guys here. Um, They want to take what you know and become the best they can possibly be. So for me, very quickly, it was like, okay, time to stop living that dream got to let it go i'm in a new role now uh let's make it work and and let's win ball games um so i think you know i I evolved in that aspect pretty quickly and then you know over the years it's just been you know clinics books videos um you know you and i uh and jacob you know we went to the abca in nashville um man shucks what was that six years ago six seven years ago i guess Yeah, i think
0: that was like 2016.
1: Yeah, it um, had a great time, uh, but you just learn so much, man. Uh, it, I feel like it's almost too much information. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, you want to go to this, you want to go to that, but they're offered at the same time, so what do you do? You know, it's, it's tough. Um, but I just think it's just a, you know, you're forever evolving as a coach, I feel like, and if you're not, I think that's when it's time to stop. Um, you know, you, you evolve, you learn daily. I mean, I was, I was reading stuff the other day um, and I'm just like, wow, you know, yeah, let's, that, that'll definitely work in our program. So we can definitely do that. So I'm, you know, I'm always looking for, for new ideas, new things to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think evolution as a coach is, is a must. Um, adaptability is a must, you know, because you're not always going to have the same players. Uh, I, I can, I can teach, whatever aspect of the game this year, but it might not work two years from now. Um, so, uh, you know, you've got to be willing willing to adapt.
0: Your experience as a player is definitely important because you've you got to be able to relate to the kids and you got to be able to relate to what it feels like standing in the box and, you know, the heart rate and the heartbeat of the game and things like that. But what you mentioned is, you know, your teams are different every year. Um, if you're not growing, you're dying. I mean, nobody's yeah. staying the same, so... The ABCA that you brought up, man, you're you're right. You you learn so much information. You feel like you want to go off, go right back to school and forget everything you were doing and implement all these new ideas right away. And you almost get overwhelmed, and and you have yeah. to kind of slow down a little bit and try to pick like one or two things that you can implement this year and maybe you over the summer you evaluate and say all right what are some of these other things i learned we might can add to the program you know next fall and and develop it and intertwine it into what's already working for us and make us better but i think that's the thing man especially with kids these days i mean it's 2022 today's kids aren't exactly the same kids that you were coaching you know a decade ago they're not the same personalities and they don't grow up with the same uh, resources, like when you were coaching myself and when you were coaching Jacob and stuff like that, like, you know, yeah. I grew up with the hundred at bats playing wiffle ball on the weekend. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know how often you get that kid who who learned to, to play the game that way and bringing that into like the, the private school aspect of, of coaching high school baseball, because You know, I'm familiar with how it works at at the public school, at the high school. You know, you got the 9 through 12. Your typical JV program is, is, you know, ninth and 10th graders with the exceptional underclassmen who may be skilled enough to play and jump right into the varsity game. But um, when I came through middle school, you know, 7th and 8th graders could play middle school baseball, and that's all it was. We actually had two teams at uh, Hertford County Middle School, and we were, you know, we were able to compete against kids our own age, but at a private school, you pretty much have what grades seven through 12. Mm -hmm. Um, How does that work? Um, What's different about it at the, at the private school compared to like your typical middle school uh, where those kids kind of stay together versus um, at your school, it may be a melting pot of kids who are technically middle school classes, but could be competing against maybe a junior in high school or even a senior in high school in some cases.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, man. You know, you know, at Lawrence Academy and then even now at paired Academy, uh, you know, it, it has its pros and it's it has its cons. You know, the cons are obviously, hey, I've got this eighth grade, seventh grade kid who I can see the potential in him, uh, but I can't put him in the box against a senior lefty who's throwing eighty eight who's who's going to, you know, Wilmington next year. Um, or can I? So, you know, very early on in my career, um, you know, I couldn't grasp the fact of there's no way that these kids can compete at that level. But then when you when you think about it at a private school, uh, you know, being at Lawrence, being at Parrott, we don't have middle school baseball teams. We either have JV for seventh, eighth and ninth and varsity for 10, 11, 12. Well, we don't have middle school fields. So, you know, those 7th graders and maybe even some of those 8th graders are playing on those 90-foot bases for the first time. Um, I I know for a fact um, in a couple of months – well, a month from now when we start practice, our our junior varsity team are going to have a slew of 7th graders who have never seen – or never played baseball on a 90-foot field before. So this is going to be their first time. So, you know, early on when I was at Lawrence, I thought, well, shucks – You know, this kid who's an eighth grader is honestly just as good as this kid who's a 10th grader. Why not? So uh, one of the first kids I brought up was Chad Whitehead, um, who was uh, who was an eighth grade catcher for me. um, Starting catcher on a team that had just lost two state championships. And, uh, you know, he actually worked behind Jacob. Uh, because Jacob was our starting catcher until I noticed, yeah, Chad might be better than Jacob behind the plate. So let's put Jacob back in his his comfortable spot at second base. Let's put Chad behind the plate and let's see how this works. Um, so you know, I had I had Chad. I had another kid by the name of Evan Holton uh, who played shortstop for me, um, and you know they were they were good, and you could see they were going to be really good. And I just figured, you know, age was just a number. You know, let me put them in the box against these guys uh, who who are, you know, worthy opponents who are going to be Division One, Division Two baseball players, and let's let them let's let them get eaten up. Uh, so by the time they are midway through their freshman year and moving forward, they crush it, they kill it. Uh, you know, but obviously that comes with you know, how, the, how you train them, how you, how you practice and, and what you prepare them for in practice. Um, but man, you know, I had shucks, uh, early on, we had numerous kids who, who came on, um, at, at Lawrence and jumped in those roles and man, they succeeded and they succeeded big time. Uh, they would start as eighth graders or they would spot start here and there as eighth graders. And then, you know, midway through their ninth grade year or even coming into their ninth grade year, they're, they're everyday players, every inning players. Um, so, you know, same thing at parrot Academy, uh, the year COVID hit, Oh, um, I had a young man who, uh, little guy, uh, in size, um, catcher, um, Garrett Bird is his name. I, I don't mind saying his name. Uh, anyway, you know, I, I reached out to his mom and dad, and I was like, "Look, you, know, you got to trust me on this. Uh, he is the best player, or he is the best catcher in our program right now, seventh grade or not. He's the best catcher. I mean, fundamentally, he he had it. He he he's got a big IQ, baseball IQ. Um, I've been here, done that before. So let's let's make it work." Well, unfortunately, we played three games due to COVID that that year. Uh, So the following year, uh, we pull up, let's see, one, two, three, four eighth graders. Uh, Same conversations with the parents. You know, the parents definitely were on board for it. And, you know, it's one of those conversations where, look, you know, I want your son to play varsity baseball with us this year Uh, rather than JV. You know, and JV, yes, he will play every inning probably – win an award at the athletic banquet. But the experience that he'll gain and practice every day in games, uh, you know, I'm not gonna pull a kid up unless he's gonna play the same amount of innings he would as if he played every inning on, on, on a JV schedule. Uh, I just don't, I, I believe in, I believe that they get better in practice. I believe they get an opportunity every day in practice, but they still need that game speed, that game management. They just need game settings. Um so last year you know we had four eighth graders that that played almost every inning of every ball game that we had um you know and 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 responded well but there were times where you know they're in the box and you know we're playing uh high point christian out of the high point area who year in year out is just loaded and you know here they come in there with you know 90 mile an hour fastballs and they just blows right by him, you know, as a coach, you know, I, I don't get mad, you know, you know, every once in a while, well, what am I doing wrong, coach? Nothing. You're you're, you're you're, 12, you know, that kid's 18, you know, chill out, you know, stop asking me what's wrong with your swing when you're swinging when the catcher has the ball in his mitt, everything's going to be fine. You know, just give it time. Uh, so, you know, here we are now where those kids are ninth graders and we're out there at off season workouts, and they're out there carrying themselves like they're juniors. And, and then I see it happening all over again, just like we did when we were at Lawrence. So I get excited about that because I'm like, yes, you know, these kids had the same grit, the same mentality um, as the kids I did early in my coaching career where they they wanted to learn. Uh, they wanted to play. They wanted to compete. They had the grit. They had the dog in them. Um, so so now I start to get excited you know, now I'll start getting mad at them. You know, now they'll be pushed to the limit and then they'll just grow. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about about that opportunity. But I, I think, you know, I, I think it's actually a good thing, man. Uh, you know, we have a, a good group of seventh and eighth graders that will play JV baseball this year and they're playing on that big field. Whereas, you know, a majority of those middle school kids are still playing on smaller fields. So there is an advantage to it. Um, you know, it, it's funny you watch them throw the ball down to second base and it's like, Ooh. you know, when's it going to get there? But they learn the field. They learn to the throw. You know, they automatically know in order to get it there, I'm going to have to throw harder. Uh, so what do I have to do to throw harder? You know, so they're they're adapting to the field. You know, I just feel like, you know, there is an advantage to where we can have, uh, you know, seventh and eighth grade competing at a JV level. And, and you know, we play public schools at the JV level um, and they'll come in and, you know, most of the time they beat us, uh, but you can, de- it's the end result, you know, and I'm, I'm constantly telling our coaches and our players, you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, everyone says it, but, but you got to believe it um, because if not, you know, that's when kids will just get down on themselves and that you'll see them quit and, and, or give up uh, on their teammates themselves or whatever it may be. You just, you just got to be patient and, and, and let them, Let them see those results a little bit later.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, failure is definitely necessary to grow. Um, And you're talking about, you know, seventh, eighth grade kids, sometimes first time they're on the big field. So they're probably not used to being like a a smaller fish in the big pond. You know, they're they're used to being able to compete on, you know, 60-foot bases or, whatever you know 55 80 foot bases whatever it is they're playing at 13u um but then you throw them right into seventh and eighth grade hey here's 60 foot six inch mound here's the 90 foot bases and you know that throw from catcher to second it looks like it's gonna be a long toss to the outfield but how how do you how, how do you help those kids who may be experiencing a little bit of uh Failure for the first time in their baseball career. How do you keep them focused on? You know, it's not necessarily about where you're at right now, and maybe you know, maybe you're not even winning against those public school JV programs, but playing good competition and learning through these experiences. How do you can? How do you help them see the big picture of man? By the time you're a ninth or tenth grader it's going to seem like you're an upperclassman because you've been through it. You've experienced it, you know, and you've grown. How do you keep them focused on, you know, failing forward versus getting so frustrated and, and maybe getting too down on
1: themselves? Yeah, for sure. I mean, another great question. You know, we have a, we have a little sign out there um, in our batting cage area that probably every baseball coach or every coach in America has. And it just says, you know, 1% today. Uh, and, And that's our goal. Is, is, is getting better by 1% every day, every time you come on the field. Um, so we, you know, we take those guys and, and and really try to develop their strengths. You know, okay, this is what you can do. So let's focus on that. Let's, let's really build those up to the best of our abilities, and then we work backwards to their weaknesses. Okay, this is – and I know that sounds a little different and a little backwards, but, you know, if, if you start allowing them to do things that they do good – they'll see more results quicker, you know. All right, you might not, if you're a catcher and you can't block the ball, but hey, you have a heck of an arm, you know, let's use that arm more often. Uh, Throw behind runners, uh, do whatever it is you can to show that arm off. And then in the meantime, we'll work on you blocking balls. Um, But we, you know, we also have uh, boards in our dugout and stuff like that. And every once in a while, I like to draw a map uh, where it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's not a steady incline, you know, you go up, you, you kind of plateau, you fall a little bit, you go up some more, you plateau, you fall a little bit. Um, you know, just to remind them, you know, um, I, I don't know if you know who Jeremy Boone is. Um, you know, he works with professional athletes. I listened to him speak one time and, and he was awesome. And, and he was like, you know, as a player, you know, wanting to be whatever it is you wanted to be as a player. It's, it's not a menu. You don't just to get the, open up the menu and say, yeah, that's what I want to be right there. You know, it's, it's a map, you know, you've got to go through X, Y, Z to get to where you want to be. And it's not always easy. Uh, So we, you know, we try to really stress that, you know, it's these times where it's hard are hard for a reason, because, you know, these failures are ultimately going to lead to your success. And then I think, you know, also too is, you know, by us having guys who have done it before, You know, when we practice, you know, most of the time we're out there together, you know, whether we're practicing together or not. You know, I I have those seventh graders who can barely throw a ball down to second base. But there's my ninth grader who was in the same position you were two years ago. who's throwing darts to second base. You know, look at what he's doing now. You were at, you know, whether they were or not, you know, I'll tell you, you know, you were actually better than he was two years ago. You know, they don't need to know any better. And then when they see what that kid's doing and, and how hard he's working, you know, they they start to trust it. Um, so I think, you know, there, there's so many things that you can do for kids. And, and I think gaining their trust is one of them. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's not easy, though, uh, because, you know, you do have background noise and, 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 and it is more prevalent now than it ever has been. Uh, I'm getting ready to enter my 18th year as a head coach. And it gets harder and harder to be a coach uh, because it's now all about, you know, me, 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 me. Uh, And I don't think the kids build that on their own. I think it's embedded in their head from from home, uh, from their 55 specialist coaches that they have. Um, You know, it makes it tough to build a program and, and continue to have a strong program when kids have. Too many people in the ear telling them things that are are not real um so you know i i I work really hard to build those player coach relationships and they're all individualized you know uh i I don't treat every kid the same every kid gets the same amount of respect uh but you know i don't treat them all the same um you know they're similar but they're not the same but the one thing that i do is is i try to gain their trust and, and and let them know that you know there's light at the end of the tunnel you just have to be willing to go through the darkness first
0: it sounds like man you're doing a good thing for kids and high water raises all ships you know you mentioned like that look at this ninth grader over here who worked hard for two years and look where he is when you're talking to that new seventh grader and it's kind of like if everybody's pulling on the same end of the rope they're all headed in the right direction like he can see his hard work paid off and he can see the the fruition that came from it so it seems like it can they can motivate each other a little bit when they're all working together outside like that at the same time within your environment.
1: Yeah. 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 And, you know, we uh, man being, you know, we're a private school. We're we're um, we're a three a private school where four A is the biggest. Um, so, you know, we are a larger private school, but we're still small. Um, you know, our student body. Is you know six hundred and sixty kids, where we have uh, you know 212, 210 in high school, another one eighty in middle school. So we're I mean we're still small, so these kids see each other all the time. Um, and 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 it I also depend on those varsity guys to build those relationships with those kids. Um, you know because when we do practice together, uh, you know a lot of people initially you know some people don't like it. Uh, I love it. Um, that we haven't been able to do it like I wish uh, because, you know, because of COVID, you know, I, a part of me is like, man, I can't have these varsity kids getting exposed to a JV kid and us miss a game or me have one of my, my starters out and, and really reconfigure everything. So it hasn't been like I wanted to the last couple of years, but, you know, when, when you're, when you're working on drills, you know, and I'll just, you know, catching, for example, you know, when you're blocking balls or, you know, working on, you know, tagging progressions or whatever it may be. I don't care how old you are. It's the same stuff. Um, You know, I'm a big fundamental guy. You know, I love fundamentals, but I think it's most of the game is fundamentals. So if you can do the fundamentals right, then then you can be successful. So when we're doing, you know, we call them EDDs, everyday drills, you know, we all jump in. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, when when my my upperclassmen catchers are are working with my seventh grade guys and I see them teach and coach, you know, that 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 as a coach, you know, makes me happy because I'm like, okay, that kid is doing his part for the program. Uh he, he's giving him insight. And you know how it is. You sometimes you learn better from your peers anyway. Um so when I see stuff like that, man, it's 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 awesome. Uh and and, and that's the kind of stuff there too that that kind of reassures that, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing because I feel like those kids care enough to where they're going to help share their knowledge and do whatever it is they can to help those younger kids be be successful.
0: Yeah. And I think if you're using your players to to teach to other kids, it gives them a little bit of ownership in within the program. And if they're learning their skills good enough where to where they mastered it, I mean, we always talk about You've really mastered an objective or you've mastered a topic when you can teach it to someone else. So I think it makes those guys even better players. And they figure out, you know, well, I didn't even realize I did things this way until I started teaching it to this kid. And then some more light bulbs click and, and they become a little bit more confident in their skill set yeah. and their ability, too. So I think it I think it helps both of them. So you mentioned a little bit about you know kids experiencing the big field for the first time, um, you know as a seventh or eighth grader. Um, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what rules you guys have to play by, but as a private hitting instructor, I know you know a lot of my 12U clients, you know they're sixth grade, they've been swinging their U triple S A negative ten bat, and they're real comfortable with it. Um, up in Virginia, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders have to swing drop three, so. You know, that can be a challenge from them going from the, the little league bat to the, the BB core. Um, so what exactly do you guys have to swing as hitters when they're in that seventh and eighth grade um, age group?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we follow all the National Federation rules. So as a as a pronounced JV team, you know, they're using those drop three BB core bats. Um, and I think it's awesome. Uh, you know, it's funny because we'll, we'll have uh, – kids and their dads, uh, come out there and, uh, can we use this bat? Like, no, you know, you can use it in some drills we'll do, uh, but you can't use it in the game. Um, but you know, they, they accept it. They go get it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's again, one of those things where, you know, it's just something else that they have to adapt to. Um, and and I think the sooner they get to where they're using it, um, the better off they'll be. Um, again, it's going to be one of those things where they fail early to succeed later. Um, you know, it's, you come one watch one of our JV games and, you know, not many balls are hit to the outfield. Um, Now, you know, we'll, we'll have some ninth graders who are, who are, who are not at the varsity level that are playing JV that are, they're that not bad baseball players, but you know, those seventh graders who play, you know, they're rolling balls, shortstop, you know, even when they do hit one hard, you know, it's, it's a line drive to shortstop or barely over the infield. Uh So it's, you know, it's a big difference for them. But, again, I think it's something that that they use early uh, that will set them up for success later. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because one thing I try to do with my, my middle school hitters is I, I try to get them into bats that are a little bit heavier than they may be comfortable with per se. Um, for example, my sixth graders, you know, I try to get them like, man, try this negative eight. You know, I've got a couple training bats over here, negative eight, negative five, let's – Let's just see what your bat speed looks like with this negative eight and see if you can get a little bit closer as a sixth grader to trying to bridge that gap and, and maybe get to a negative five. And then uh, by the time you're seventh grade, if you want to try to play middle school baseball or whatever, try to get to the negative three. Because to be honest, man, it's it's hard to get kids to see. Maybe I have to grow through some adversity now to benefit yeah. more later. Yeah, um, exactly and sometimes it's not even convincing the kid as much as it is convincing the parents that it's going to benefit your kid in the long run. If they kind of start swinging a little bit of a heavier bat, because as as you mentioned, when those JV games with your seventh through ninth graders, you know, that, that drop three bat does not care how big you are. It doesn't care if you're ready for it. Um, And you will, you will be a lonely kid out there who is struggling to handle that thing if you wait too long to try to bridge that gap.
1: Yeah, I man, I can remember, you know, when I was in high school, we used drop fives and then my freshman years when they transitioned to the drop three and I thought, wow, you know, how hard it is to put the barrel on the ball now. Um, so, you know, you almost felt like you had to swing double time just to get used to the bat. So, you know, I, I feel like if I had known that as a player in my time, that would have benefited me. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think anytime, like you said, you put them in those situations where, and honestly, too, you know, my whole philosophy on that, you know, weighted bats, weighted balls. You know, if I put a weighted ball in a kid's 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 hand, what's he gonna do? He's automatically, naturally, gonna throw harder. He's gonna he's gonna throw harder. If I put a heavier bat in his hand, he's gonna swing harder. He's eventually gonna get used to it. Um, you know, it, it might it might work them a little bit, but they're gonna learn how to use it for sure
0: yeah without a doubt um if let's move into advice for athletes who are you know they have ambitions to play um high school varsity baseball they have ambitions to to be a a role player you know they want to contribute to winning games not just you know not just necessarily be on the team which there's nothing wrong with being on the team don't get me wrong you know a lot of the best memories you'll have are making the the team in high school and being around the guys and the bus trips and the memories you make at the practices and the locker room talks and and stuff like that you're definitely going to build some relationships and and have fun being on the team but if you have aspirations to make the high school team and and be a role player try to contribute to winning baseball games what advice do you have to these guys as they're they're coming up and you know maybe they're 12 now or 13 or and and they want to get to that point or, or maybe you even have the kid who is in ninth grade now and he's just not quite physical enough yet to play that big role. Like what advice do you give those guys?
1: Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's funny you ask because, you know, coming up, uh, like I said, I, I never played baseball until I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, I didn't play right away. Uh, You know, I I can remember sitting on the bench and watching some guys play that were on the field while I was in the bench thinking, like, I know I've never played, but I know I'm better than that kid. So how how can I prove it? Uh, It was all about how can I prove it? How can I prove it? The coach is not going to put me in the game. How can I prove it? Well, you know, the one thing is, you know, I love practice. Um, I think that as a player, I love practice. As a coach, I love practice um so i think definitely you know it's funny to me because luckily knock on wood you know i've been blessed to to not have parents you know issues where they're you know in 18 17 complete seasons as a head coach i may have had a handful of parents that ever really complained or or tried to pick battles uh with me over playing time or whatever it may be uh and one of the things you know they would say is my my son never gets an opportunity your son gets an opportunity every day at practice so i think that you know players really need to buy in to practice and, and and understand the value in that um i i think that today we have too many kids uh baseball basketball football whatever maybe soccer i don't know that that think just because they do uh, lessons or um, because they play on a travel ball team or whatever it may be that that's all it is. You know, I have kids that play travel travel baseball, and and and, and you know, I'm probably uh, I'll probably be shunned for this, but I'm not a travel ball guy. Um, I don't. I don't. There's there's not many programs that I believe in when it comes to travel ball, Um, just from my experience. I I know guys that coach it, I know kids that play it, and I hear, what I hear from it, I I don't agree with. Um, But I I think that, you know, when it comes to school baseball, that kids really need to buy into, they need to buy into practice. uh, And they really need to, you know, self-reflect. You know, as a player, you know, I noticed what it is that I could do good, I noticed what it was that I had to get better at. So, as a player, you know, in, in middle school or, you know, whether you're a sixth or sixth, seventh grader or, or 12th grader, you know, what is it that you recognize that needs to become better in order to play on the to actually get some playing time? Um, figure out what it is and work at it. You know, um, you're not going to become a better hitter by coming to practice going through your routine and leaving as soon as coach says, all right, it's time to go, you know, what are you doing after practice? Uh, When, when everyone else is leaving, all the kids that start, you know, they're gone. All their buddies are the, all the kids that don't really care. They're gone. What are you doing? You know? So, you know, when kids, you know, say, or mention or breathe the, you know, I'll never get to play. Why don't I get to play? What are you doing to play? You know, that's the question. Uh, and that's kind of the question I throw back at kids, you know, that do ask me, you know, because I do. I mean, every year I'm going to have one or two kids. Coach, what, what, what can I do to, to play more? You know, what are you doing to play more? You know, we have off-season workouts. Uh, you know, we'll have, whew, you know, eight, nine weeks of, of off-season work, and you came to two days. So what is it that you're doing? Because you're not doing your part. Uh, We're here. I'm here. You know, you have to do what it is that whatever it takes in order to play. If not, you have no argument. Um, And and that's kind of the way I look at it. But, you know, for those kids, I think, you know, you know, I'm I'm anti-travel ball and I am pro uh, lessons. You know, I think what you do with kids is awesome. Uh, I know you personally. So I know what you do works. I know what you're teaching them works. I know that you have interest in the kids becoming better, and I know that's that's what they need. You know, I, I, I had a kid uh, a few years ago, my first year at Parrot, who had a pitching coach and a hitting coach, and he was terrible at both. And I was like sitting there thinking the whole time, you know, what are your mom and dad paying for? Like, do they not see – that this is a waste of money, or is it just a service? You know what I mean? Or, or are we just trying to figure out? Uh, we need some alone time. Here's an hour. Here's here's fifty bucks. You know, take my kid. I'll, I'll come back in an hour. You know, so it's you know there's too much information uh, that that come from these people. Uh, it's, it's sometimes a bad thing. You know? Uh, so, you know, multiple hitting coaches, multiple pitching coaches. You know. Find find a guy, find a Brandon Matthews uh, that's out there that's willing to work with kids. Do it the right way. Become better. Get your skills polished. Uh, bust your tail at practice, and 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 you'll start to see results. I mean, there's no way you can't. Uh, I mean, that's a formula for success that's been since the beginning of time, uh, and and I don't think that's ever going to change.
0: Yeah, you just you just mentioned on a couple of things. I want to piggyback on. And one of them is, you know, you're talking about the kid who's like, what can I do to get more playing time Um, and things of that nature. You brought up off season workouts, which I'm pretty familiar with, you know, being a former high school baseball coach in, in public school, we don't get paid until the season starts when I was doing it. So we got a little stipend, but that stipend didn't kick in until February. So you're talking about February, March, April, and then I get my last check in May and, if we do anything when school starts in September, all the way through December um, leading up to Christmas break, you know, that's basically us volunteering our time as a coach. And, you know, four days a week we were doing it 90 minutes a day. I'm like, if I'm putting in an hour and a half every day from September to December, you're not playing soccer, you're not playing football. You know, you're not busy with a current sport. I think you at least owe me to come out here and put in time with it as well. If you're going to ask me the question in the spring, you know, what do I need to do to play and be like, well, you know, where have you been? You know, just like yeah. you said, but one of those things when you mentioned that it brought up something, I was listening to a podcast last night, um, uh, Chaz Pippet had a Duke university player on his podcast for baseball rebellion. And it's funny if you look at his career, uh, he red shirts his freshman year and doesn't play a significant role. You know, his second year he gets limited time and, you know, COVID hits. Um, but long story short, basically, he w- he had a very low uh, role when he came into the program. He was the 35th guy as a walk-on. Um, the funny thing is, he's, he got drafted out of high school, so he's a pretty good athlete. But he, he told you on the, on the podcast, he's like, man, I knew I was the 35th guy on the roster. And he's like, my defense was really good, but I couldn't hit good enough to hit ACC pitching. But he made a comment, and he talked about how he tried to basically work while he was waiting and show up every day at practice and be somebody that people wanted to be around, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, be somebody coaches wanted to have around, be somebody at practice that, you know, pushed his teammates to, to do well. And, and he tried to do as much as he could to, you know, continue being a really good defender and, and be really good at practice to, um to play a significant role and show off what he could do but he really said hey i knew i needed to become a better hitter so i had to put in the time that it took to be a better hitter i had to go out and and find out you know work with my coaches improve my hit and he's like and honestly i was small when i came into college i had to get bigger i had to gain a little bit of weight i had to find the weight room consistently um so he's he's really pointed out that he had to be deliberate uh, with his his methods and with his practice and with his training but he could have easily said, Man, I got drafted out of high school. I don't know why I'm the thirty-fifth guy and I'm not playing. Um, he could have had the wrong attitude about it. But he he really said, Look, coaches gotta to wanna to be around me. My teammates gotta to wanna to be around me. I gotta be a guy that they wanna have in the program and I can work hard to do that. And I, I can also just be a, be a good person who puts my nose down and works while I wait and and just digs in the dirt and puts in my time. And now he's a significant everyday player in the infield for them and has a goal to try to win the batting title. But I wanted to point out that, you know, a lot of kids miss that. You know, they miss that opportunity that if you just put the work in and and you're coachable, you're you're likable, you're doing the right things, like you might have a shot. But if you don't ever go that route, you never know what might be, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, we have a we have a um, a guy on staff who uh, is a PE teacher. Uh, he's an assistant football coach. Coaches JV basketball for us. Um, coaches lacrosse out of necessity. Uh, played football at um, North Carolina A and T. Um, great guy, young guy. You know, he's getting into coaching, and, and he and I have had conversations uh, again and again. And you know, it's one of those things where he's uh, he's 26. I just turned 40 this year and, you know, it just, you know, you can tell he's a young coach. Um, you know, he, he's doing all the right things. Uh, but you know, he, he, I learned from him in a conversation that we had, you know, to this point, you know, where, uh, he made a comment that, you know, never really dawned on me, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure that I ever heard it. And I'm sure millions of people have probably heard it, but, you know, he made a comment. He said, everybody's given the same 24 hours in a day. What do you do with yours? And I thought, man, that's, that's it. You know, that's it. Uh, I I love that. So, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, no matter what and and, and what level you're at, you know, you have an opportunity there. You're always, most of the times, hopefully most of the times you're going to have coaches that are willing to, to help out in in whatever ways they possibly can. Um, But it's up to you as a player to take advantage of that. Uh, You know, the one thing that I love about Parrot and where I'm at and, and, and being a private school is, you know, my guys that play baseball play multiple sports. You know, I'm a multiple sports guy. You know, I I played football when I was in high school. So I, I, you know, there's the risk of injury. Sure. You know, but if it's not, Significant. They're always back by baseball season anyway. You know, I'm more scared of yeah. basketball than I am football. Um, but man, we have such an outstanding athletics program, and um, our athletic director Matt Beeman uh, does an excellent job. He's also our football coach. Um, but man, we uh, we we upgraded our our entire school. Uh, my first year, I think it was my first year, first couple years at Parrot, where we just School did an excellent job of raising money to add on some new buildings and, and um, extend some buildings. And, man, one of the things they did is they built a field house with the state-of-the-art weight room. Um, and ever since, ever since that came into existence uh, five years ago, four or five years ago, man, our kids have bought into it. Uh, and I can remember early in my coaching career, like you said, you know, uh, unfortunately for, for me, you know, our coaching was included in our salary. So you were kind of always being paid as a coach, but you never really saw the benefits of it, you know, as far as an extra check or anything else like that. So, um, you know, it, it, whatever. I would have done it for free. Still would. Um, but, you know, you spend those hours and hours and hours after school uh, and, you know, you're in the weight room, you're you're on the field, you're doing whatever. Um but at Parrot, man, I you know, like I said, I have so many kids that that play multiple sports, and most of it, you know, most of them play football. Um, and we have a weightlifting class uh, in which we have a guy that does an excellent job in there. So, man, I tell you, like we really ramp up our baseball at the very beginning of January um, during that fall. 100% of my guys are in the weight room and I'm just like, this is awesome. Like you're telling me my guys are getting better and I can come home to my, my family. I get, sign me up for that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we do some things sparingly in the fall. Uh, but you know, nothing outrageous because honestly, like, you know, I have a bunch of guys that are, that are just finishing up and I want them to rest. Uh, but you know, most of the stuff, you know, just what I did anyway in the fall was all, all let's get stronger um so you know now that kind that burden has kind of been lifted off my shoulders and i love it man it's it's the greatest thing ever so you know in the fall and, and you you know you see these guys uh you know you can actually start to see them bulk up tone up and it's like yes you know keep keep getting it you know um so you know i love that so we 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 start baseball baseball you know january second, third, whenever we come back from Christmas and, and, you know, we go hard at it until we, until baseball season actually starts, but man, it's, man, that's such a a blessing uh, to have. And, and, you know, I have coaches that I work with and that believe in it. So they, you know, they, they push it, they pump it. And I I get to, I get to reap the benefits from it. So (laughs) I love it.
0: Yeah. That's definitely beneficial. I mean, you're talking about, you know, you got somebody you can trust to develop your guys in the weight room Uh, your athletes are playing multiple sports, so they're staying active, you know, they're becoming more athletic learning, you know, different mobility and uh, motor learning skills with those other sports. So that's definitely something that a lot of coaches could appreciate. I mean, I know Mm -hmm. at a lot of, you know, a lot of programs where, you know, high school baseball coaches have to wear so many different hats, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you can put in so many hours that you almost get a little bit overwhelmed. But I know coaches are usually the first people at the at the ballpark, they're the first people at the the field, the stadium, the venue, they're usually the last ones to leave. Um, and when you're talking about, you know, you really spend more time with other people's kids than you often spend time with your own. And that's just the, uh, the realistic view of, of being a coach and it takes special people to do it. Um, I want to bring up one thing and kind of get your opinion on this. I know some things that other people have said, and I know what my thoughts are on it, but you know, there's there's the kid out there who, you know, we were talking about, you know, earning your stripes and trying to, you know, the kid who has aspirations to play high school varsity baseball and, and what can I do to get better. But, you know, you've got this kid who he's a really good kid, um, stays out of trouble, responsible, does the right things at school, shows up to practice every day. But I don't think – it doesn't necessarily get him on the field, you know, um, yeah. but but there's a lot of people who think, hey, my son never missed a practice. Um, he's got good grades in school. He's very, you know, respectable. He's just a he's a really good young man. And I'm not saying we, we definitely we want those kids. We want all of our kids in our program to be that way and to be described that way. Um, but just because you're a good person doesn't necessarily earn you playing time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, that's tough, man. Um, That's real tough, actually. Um, You know, it's kind of one of those things where, um, you know, I I like to think that I'm a good person. Uh, You know, I became a better student the older I got. Um, But, you know, I couldn't go into med school and my mom and dad say he he needs – he needs to, he needs to cut somebody open. We need to see, we need to see him at work, you know? Um, so, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, I want all my kids to be that. And, you know, you're all, as a coach, you're always going to see the classic case of kids who have all the talent in the world have no work ethic or kids who have zero talent and all the work ethic. And it's just like, how come we can't combine all this? Let's put it in a pot, stir it up and let's distribute some of this. Um, but, you know, when I, when I, when I think of that, you know, I, I think of kids, I try to instantly start thinking of kids that I've coached in the past and, and, and how I treated those situations. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where I, within the last couple of years, um, I realized that, man, I have favorites. You know, I, I was always that coach or, 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 you know, just always, I guess, embedded to believe that you don't have favorites. Uh, but, you know, I I wholeheartedly have favorite players. Um, Now, that doesn't mean I like them any less or anything. It has nothing to do with that. You know, my favorite players are the guys who have that combination of talent and work ethic. Um, I love those guys. They're my favorite players, Um, but I love all my players the same, if that makes any sense at all. But when it comes to a situation like that, you know I've got little Johnny who's at every practice a good kid doesn't give me any trouble uh, honor roll student, you know whatever it may be. you know yeah, you know when the situation arises, he's probably one of the first kids I try to get in the game uh, when we're getting blown out or we're blowing somebody out uh, but when it's a two to two ball game in the fifth, and and I'm needing to make some switches here and there, Uh, you know, Johnny doesn't, he's not a part of that equation. Um, And it has nothing to do, you know, with that kid, you know, earlier you spoke on, on roles. Um, You know, that's something that we preach from day one. You know, every single kid on our team has a role. We keep charts after charts after charts. Um, You know, I'm keeping a chart. My, my two assistant coaches are keeping charts. Players who aren't playing are keeping charts, so everyone's doing something. So little Johnny, who who might not get in the game, is playing a very important role for us right now, because I want to know how many times the pitchers look in the second base uh, when we have a runner on second base, and that's his role. And 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 luckily, you know, we have kids that buy into that. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, just because you're a good person, um, you know, that doesn't that doesn't equate to being a good player. Um, that doesn't put you on the field but it definitely it definitely puts you on the field when the right situation arises um and it's just that situation is different for for all role players um you know i have guys man i had a kid a couple of years ago uh you know his, his parents were great he he was a great great kid great kid smart kid chucks i think he's a dentist now um or in dental school uh I, it, he if I st- if he started he played the outfield he was he was average in the outfield at best uh, he he could catch fly nothing was going to get by him he couldn't throw uh, but no matter what it, depending on situations if he started he'd go 0 for three every game I could I could bet on that but if I ever brought him off the bench for a pinch hit he was money so you know I quickly realized this dude's not a starter. This dude is that clutch hit in the fifth inning when we need a run or, or you know, whatever be the case. And, you know, his mom and dad actually came to me one day and were like, don't let Alex start anymore. And, you know, <laughs> at first I'm like thinking, What's, what are they talking about? And they're like, he just hits the ball so much better when he when he doesn't play the field. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we're on the same page. <laughs> so, I mean – everybody's got that role. Um, it's just different for for every single kid. Um, so, you know, but, yes, absolutely. You know, if there's a kid that comes to practice, does everything he's supposed to do, uh, yes. When the situation arises, I definitely think of that kid first. Um, but, you know, how many kids have I, have I ever coached? that come out to every single workout, have done everything I've asked, never miss a practice, no trouble in school, and play four innings all, all year, you know, several. Uh, and that's just something that's never going to change. Um, it, it is what it is, but, you know, you can see the disappointment. Uh, but I think, you know, that's one of those life lessons that, parents might not understand, the kid at that time might not understand, but that's that's just reflection. You know, um when when that when I was in the independent league and we were coming out of the hotel and that dude was standing in the lobby and I heard he was a third baseman, there was self-reflection in Robert Kravitz because I knew I'm probably going home because those other dudes are better than I am. And I and I knew that and I could accept that. You know, did I like it? No, I didn't like it. But I knew it. Um, so I think, you know, when, when Johnny, who's such a great kid and who's going to make an excellent citizen of the world one day, you know, if he would actually be honest with himself and say, yeah, you know, I don't play because the guy in front of me is better. And, and, you know, that's something too, that we, I tell my guys all the time, you know, all the time is, you know, listen, I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you do, nine best players on on today will play, uh, and the reason why you don't play is because the guy in front of you is better. That's the only, that's it. You know, that. that's, that's it. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, you know, luckily we, I haven't had too many people who, who complain about, you know, that, but, you know,
0: if you're doing the right things, you're in the program because you're doing the right things. Like you're in the program because you're going to class. You're in the program because you show up every day. You're in the program because you you do come to the practices and you add value to our program And you're that person who's good to be around and you're going to be a model citizen in the future and you deserve to be here. But just because you're the good person doesn't actually mean you deserve to play because you don't have the requisite skill set, you know, to to jump on the field at the moment. Not saying you might not have it in the future, but I just wanted to point that out that, you know, for any parents or, you know, other coaches or players or whatever who are listening, it doesn't mean you can be a jerk. And because you're a jerk and you're a good baseball player, you're going to play either. It just means that yeah. you, like you said, you need to self reflect and, um, and, and do the things you're supposed to do and just, you know, earn that opportunity to, um, maybe be the best player tomorrow or be the best player, you know, next season, whatever the case may be. Um, a couple of things I want to hit on. You know, you mentioned it a little bit uh, earlier about trying to find the right hitting coaches or coaches outside of practice to take lessons with. Um, I think it's really important that, um, you know, instructors communicate with the high school coaches. And I don't think there's enough of that, you know, pick up the phone, reach out and figure out, you know, hey, what are you seeing with this kid every day at practice? What are you seeing with him in your program? Um, This is what I'm seeing with him in private lessons. This is what we've been working on, like that communication piece. Because, you know, like you said, you're trying to spend time with your family as a coach. And I know my role, like, I know time is limited when you're a high school coach and you've got maybe 20 athletes. Like it's hard to individualize everybody's training plan every day. So that's where I try to bridge the gap as a as a private hitting instructor. Is I can individualize Johnny's plan. I can give him one hour. You know, however often he can come in and try to make him better. But I don't think we have enough. Uh, communication between private instructor and and high school coach. There's sometimes this unwritten animosity that really doesn't have to be there. And you've got to find the right person that you can trust. Like you mentioned that going to just anybody for a lesson, sometimes it's a transaction, but it's not transformational, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that communication is key. Um, you know, it's just, and you're right, you know, it is tough uh, to find time to invest in your players uh, all the time, you know. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you're a you're hitting instructor that that spends an hour with a kid. Um, you know, you might have a kid that comes in, you know, once a month for an hour, and, you know, you're not going to gain a lot about that kid where, you know, I see him every day. Yeah, absolutely. There should be some communication there for sure. Um, and, and the animosity thing is is another another good point. Um, you know, there, there have been times where, you know, for me, and that's probably something I'm guilty of, you know, I would never, I'm not going to badmouth, you know, anybody, but I'll make comments, you know, like, what are you paying for? You know, like that, you know, so, uh, but, you know, it's funny to me, you know, how, you know, so many coaches, individual, like hitting coaches or, or pitching coaches, you know, they, they play ball, they play ball at a high level, uh, but that doesn't always equate to being a good coach or a good instructor or a good communicator. Um, So, you know, I think a lot of people get, you know, they purchase the name, Oh, I'm taking lessons with, you know, Johnny Appleseed who was a 10 year pro guy and played baseball at such and such, you know, and it's, you know, okay. You know, but I don't see any results from you in the batting cage at all. Uh, You know, so let's really rethink what we're doing here. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of one of those things that, that I'm definitely guilty of, uh, where I have guys that have hitting coaches or pitching coaches and I just look at what they do. And I, I, you know, I, I, get, I get angry. I'm just like, what, what are we, what are we, why do I have to coach you? Then you go away to this dude and then him just tell you everything totally opposite. Now, I'm not saying that my way is the right way or the wrong way, but, it, it it's contradictory. Um, You know, I don't. And, and it
0: doesn't it doesn't help the kid either because now no, he's like that, he's right in the middle and he's well over here. I'm listening to this one and over here I'm listening to that one. And I don't know what to do. I'm just running on this wheel and going in places.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, that's you know, I and I and I have a couple guys uh, that have had taken hitting lessons and, and pitching lessons where, yeah, you know, that coach or that hitting instructor is teaching the same things that I'm teaching. You know, but, you know, hey, ask him about this or, you know, ask him if if he, you know, how he thinks this drill might be more beneficial, uh, whatever it may be. Um, And it's funny, too, because, you know, I'll ask, you know, some of those kids, you know, hey, walk me through your workout. You know, when I do personal workouts, I do one hour workouts. You do one hour workouts. You're not getting anything out of 30 minutes. Um, so, you know, some of these guys, they do 30 minutes and I'm thinking, heck in 30 minutes, I don't even know if we swung a bat the first 30 minutes, you know? Uh, So it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, okay, so you're basically paying someone to throw you some BB, um, or, or catch your bullpen or something like that. So, you know, I automatically start to question, you know, what, what's really going on there. Um, you know, it's become so much of a business where the door is just a revolving door, you know, got to get you in, got to get the next guy out, you know, or the next guy in. So in and out, in and out, in and out, you know, and they, they make that living off their, their name or their reputation or whatever it may be. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there should be communication there for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's important for, for baseball coaches and, and hitting instructors or, or personal instructors to, to bridge that gap, you um, you know, if I send a guy, you know, unfortunately, you know, you live so far away from from my guys. You know, if you were thirty minutes down the road, man, I would be like, look, I would tell my guys, the only hit instructor you need is Brandon Matthews. Uh, man, that would that would make life so much easier. Uh, but you know, some of the guys they do have, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, they teach something totally different, and I, you know, and I don't like it. Uh, because I feel like I'm I'm fighting an uphill battle. Because, man, I've had this hitting instructor since I was eight years old. <laughs> okay, well, let's do something that's right and and different. Uh, but you know, I've, I've also had hitting hit kids who have had hitting instructors who've been great, who have uh, made my job easier. Um, so, I mean, it, it plays both ways for sure. Uh, but yeah. I think the communication piece for sure would be. Would be key for for both parties i mean i mean and honestly you talk about who benefits from it you know the kid uh and ultimately that's that's the goal all
0: right we're gonna wrap it up with this last segment we your evolution as a coach i know there are things that i used to do that i used to think were like man i'm gonna do this forever and ever this is great my it's it's a drill i'm always gonna do or I'm going to run my practices this way, or it could be, you know, I'm, I'm always going to take three o. could be some type of example, yeah. but, uh, in the last five years or say, so, what is something you you don't do anymore that you've kind of gone away from that you've changed and something you might've added or something new that you've learned, uh, in, within the last five years.
1: Oh man, <laughs> something I, I definitely do not do anymore. I, uh, or I do, but do it differently. Uh, When I was in college, um, our coach uh, struggled to find good help. So, uh, (coughs) excuse me, we would always do something known as mass infield, mass outfield. (coughs) Pardon me. And um, anyway, he would take all the infielders, they go to their positions and everybody else would beat ground balls. So our infielders, Man, over a fifteen-minute span, could get two hundred ground balls. You know where, you know, as a catcher, you know, I was hitting ground balls. The shortstop and and outfielders were hitting ground balls. The first, second, wherever it may be, the balls are just all over the place, and, and it was great. And I thought, man, this is this is fantastic. Like, you, how can you? This is the best fifteen minutes ever. And then we would flip to mass outfield where we would start hitting fly balls to outfielders. So when I first started coaching, I was like, man, mass infield, mass outfield is a definite because we are going to get as many reps as possible. And then I think it was probably my fourth or fifth year as a head coach when I started to realize I don't think kids need to be hitting that part of the baseball. And what what really <laughs> opened up my eyes to that was I was at Fleming Stadium. Uh, we were getting ready to play in a tournament, and we were playing a team from New Jersey. And uh, – the coach took a like a rope or a string or something, put about ten wiffle balls up there, tied it to the fence, and he would he would pull it apart, and then the ball would just come like this, and the kids would hit the top half of the baseball. And I was watching them, and at first I was thinking that's pretty cool, and then I was like, no, nah, that sucks. Like that's <laughs> not good. Like that that's that's not. And then I thought I instantly thought of mass infield, mass outfield, where I had guys beating ground balls into the ground. And then that's when I kind of started to incorporate the, all right, we're going to hit the bottom half of the baseball, and we're going to hit it with as much part of the bat we can, and we're going to start letting balls carry. Uh, so mass infield is something I definitely don't do anymore. Or when I do it, we set up pitching machines uh, that have nothing but top spin and kids feed the pitching machines. Uh, so we no longer hit ground balls in the dirt. Um, and then something, something new that I do that I've probably started – three or four years ago, you know, um, man, like I said, I love practice. I love making a practice plan. I I think it's awesome. Like it's one of my favorite things as a coach and, uh, you know, it was always, uh, um, you know, practices were different, but they were, they were very similar in a sense where we warm up, we stretch, we do more calisthenics, we start throwing and then we get into X, Y, Z, uh, so what I started doing, and I don't know if this just popped into my head or if I, I heard it from somebody or, or whatever, um, you know, we warm up, we stretch, we do some calisthenics, and then we run bases uh, for about 15 to 20 minutes every single day. Um, then we jump right into defensive drills that are, that are non-throwing. Uh, we have our catchers working, infielders working. You know, our you know, corner guys are separated from middle guys and then our outfielders together. And we haven't thrown a baseball yet because how many times in practice have you, you know, think about as a player, what did you do? You went out there, you warmed up, you stretched, you started throwing, then you would take batting practice and then you would take infield outfield. And then it's like, why is my arm always not feeling good? Uh, and I, you know, we weren't having arm issues or anything else like that. I just thought, why are we so quick to jump into our throwing program? And then we we, we we stray away from anything throwing for another 45 minutes to an hour. So, you know, the first part of our practices are, like I said, warm-up stretching, calisthenics, get right into base running every single day, uh, defensive drills that are non-throwing, uh, and then we throw – and then we work on team defense and, and kids are throwing bullpens so you know i think that's something that we've done over the last three you know three or four years that we incorporated that i think just is smarter um you know uh, that that i that i like um and then i mean i also you know i've got you know started dabbling in a lot of the analytics here lately uh hitting wise um so you know i'm still learning all that kind of good stuff but i like it i enjoy it Um, it's good to have guys out there that, you know, know what they're talking about and you, and you learn from it. Um, you know, we, we use some stuff. We don't use every metric. We don't base everything solely on metrics. Um, but you know, it's, it's something that it's, it's, it's a part of the game now. Uh, you can't watch a baseball game without anybody talking about metrics. Um, so it's something that I'm definitely learning more and more about. Uh, you know, I just purchased my first rebel rack. Um, I bought three today, uh, you know, so I'm definitely excited about that and learning how to use that. So, um, you know, and I know people have been using that for the last few years. So I'm definitely pumped up about that and, and learning more about how to use that and incorporate that as much as possible. So. Um.
0: That's awesome, man. I think that's a testament to, you know, who you are as a, as a person and your willingness to to grow. Like you ask your players to grow. You ask your players to be open-minded and you ask them to be, you know, coachable. And I think that shows that you're, you're coachable as a coach, you know, you're willing to learn from other people, you're willing to, you know, implement new ideas and at, at least try them and and that says a lot about your willingness to try to serve your players in the best possible way, you know. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I mean, what, you got to be accountable as a coach for sure. If you if you're going to hold your players accountable, you have to be accountable
0: thank you for listening to today's episode if you enjoyed the show please consider sharing with others and be sure to leave a rating or review i hope this helps see you on the diamond